0: Hello, and welcome to Be the Serpent, a podcast of extremely deep literary merit with your classy and sophisticated hosts, Alexandra Rowland, Freya Mask, and Jennifer Mace. On today's episode, we're discussing A Private Reason for This by Fam Quisotic, Midnight Riot by Ben Aronovich, and the first episode of the TV show Luther.
1: and welcome to episode 33 turn in your badge and gun (laughs) i'm alex and i'm jake peralta from brooklyn nine
2: nine i'm freya and i'm temperance brennan from bones i'm macy and i am spencer reed from criminal minds we are three red-headed fantasy authors
1: and today we're talking about police procedurals and detectives and investigating mysteries and three really wonderful tent poles. I enjoyed all of them and I can't wait to talk about them. Uh, but first, what are we reading, fellow serpents?
2: I just finished reading a book called My Sister the Serial Killer uh-huh. by, uh, by O'Yinkan Braithwaite. It's a very short, snappy, I think it's probably about novella length about a woman who is a nurse in Lagos in Nigeria whose sister is a serial killer and keeps calling her saying, um, I killed another one, come and help. <laughs> and she has to keep going over and helping her sister get rid of bodies. And it's about what happens when her sister decides to start dating the, hosp- the doctor at the hospital that the protagonist has a crush on. <laughs> oh. It's very dark humor, but very sharply observed. Really quick read. I had a great time. Uh, another good novella i read recently was mrs martin's incomparable adventure by the wonderful courtney milan this is an ff romance novella regency era and it is about quite literally two elderly ladies who fall in love get revenge on terrible men for a lifetime of oppression and burn down the patriarchy
1: nice it is
2: nice very angry very funny very nice Uh, And then I also fell down a (laughs) K-drama hole and watched all of Romance is a Bonus Book, which is a K-drama on Netflix. Only 16 episodes. It's not one of those ones that goes on and on and on and on and on forever. It's a very sweet friends to lovers romance about a divorced single mother who is trying to go back into the workforce and her childhood friend who is an editor at a publishing Mm -hmm. house. So it's a really nice love story but it's also a really nice sort of misfits found family of people who work at this publishing house and it's just a whole lot of people who are really earnest about wanting to make (laughs) good books so delightful like a warm cup of tea for your heart if you like books
0: My, my problem is every time freya i end up wanting to read like all of the things you talk about and then every time it's an hour later by the time we're done recording and i didn't write it down and i forget we have a Google document, I know Macy. Oh, I should. But... We also have a
1: podcast, Macy. You'll be <laughs> listen, reminded.
0: <laughs> listen, friends. We have transcripts, Macy.
1: Listen. <laughs> this week,
0: I read a lot of chapters of my favorite Naruto self-insert fanfic, which is now over 700,000 words long. Jesus Christ. Oh, Macy, Macy. <laughs> it's fine, Classic. I'm only like 65% of the way through, which is, means it's kind of read more than like, 400,000 words at most. Fuck off. In fairness. But more importantly than the Nanato self insert, <laughs> I got the chance to read my agent sib, uh, A.K. Larkwood's upcoming novel, The Unspoken Name. Oh, yes. This is the one that you've been really excited about, right? I'm super excited about it. Uh, it's full of all the best things, such as dirtbag protagonists and um, gay love stories and it has a bit of a like Alcoin setup
2: with Hello. like yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> said the one word to get my attention Hi. <laughs> yeah listeners alex was kind of turned away from the microphone and there was this literal body swerve back <laughs> towards the microphone i was That's
1: like the word i was like leaning away to have a drink of something and then
0: i heard the word so, so basically it's the Alcuin Cushiel, um, like triumvirate with their their mentor, except if the mentor is a um scumbag immortal wizard, and Alcuin and Cushiel are instead Millicent Bulstrode as an Orc Priestess assassin, and Draco Malfoy as a sulky wizard boy. Into it. I'm and into then it. Into the this. Orc Priestess falls in love with a goth mage elf. And they are delightful, and there's an entire chapter set on this world that is just Pompeii, but full of giant snake corpses because it's the fallen civilization of giant snakes. And holy shit! I'm. It's amazing. <laughs> it sounds very on and, brand for us. Ah, it's so good, you guys, and the world building is amazing. And it's like, Le Guin mixed with Homestuck by way of Fuck. like Draco Malfoy Slytherin fan fiction.
1: Can you ask her for more arcs for us, please? Um, (laughs) I may have to when
0: arcs exist, which will not be for a while, as this is coming out
1: fall 2020. Oh, 2020. Okay, well, still very exciting wow there's a
0: ton of fealty shit in this like oh god stop you
1: need to stop right now (laughs) we have to do the rest of an episode is that all you've read can can we just move on from this moment of absolute pain and desolation take a moment smoke a cigarette Jesus, yes cigarette oh my god okay well fine (laughs) (sighs) listeners i've read some interesting books this week (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i finally not got that around interesting not that interesting no i mean they were very good <laughs> they were um yeah i read specter dial by kj charles which is a uh it's in the same world as the case book of simon feximal i can't remember the name of it simon feximal something the secret case <laughs> uh secret case book of simon feximal that's the one uh <laughs> and so it has some like swearing yourself to the land stuff and magical (laughs) wells and um, investigating a mystery and running away from weird
2: swamp creatures and so forth (laughs) i think the
1: thriller horror writing
2: in that book is amazing
1: oh yeah she did Mm. some really creepy stuff what were they called grendels swamp grendels that's what they were called or even like very evocative where
2: they're like sitting around telling stories and the lights go out
1: Oh, my God. Yes. Yeah. And they the, everyone hears the thing standing right behind oh, them. Oh, it's so creepy. Super, so super creepy. Super creepy. Super creepy. Uh, I also read uh, a fanfic called Signals That Sound in the Dark by Dira Sudis, which is a crossover between uh, the Vorkosigan saga and Torchwood uh oh no. yeah
0: it's a, this sounds so much up my alley <laughs> yeah it,
1: it's uh Jack Harkness meets Errol Vorkosigan in a bar and they make oh. out it's pretty great it's <laughs> do they bang? I mean and Sudis is a brilliant fic writer anyway like so it has her her usual delicate hand at work what Macy but do they bang yes they bang Good. That's what I I said. Make out. What I meant was bang. I was trying to be tasteful and classy. (laughs)
2: Because we are such tasteful, classy people.
1: Well, Freya is. It's Captain Jack Harkness. Freya is very tired today, and you're drugged up on allergy meds. And before we started recording, you said to me specifically, Alex, you're in charge. You have to keep the dignity of the podcast going today. (laughs) And so I'm just here doing my best.
0: Listeners, this is a true fact. We have delegated all dignity and intelligence to Alex for the course of this episode, so brace yourselves.
1: So I'm really valiantly doing my best to keep it a classy, tasteful <laughs> we in you. podcast of deep literary merit. Thank you. Gunbuddy. Thank you for believing in me. Um, <laughs> I also ha- have been uh, doing some sewing projects. Uh, so I've been listening to some audiobooks. I re listened to The Warrior's Apprentice by Lois McMaster Bujold because I was on that mm-hmm. whole Vorkosikan kick. Uh, and I also started listening to The Natural History of Dragons by Marie Brennan, which I think that both of you would really like if you haven't re- uh, read it already. You have? Mm-hmm. I have not yet. It keeps like, it's one of those ones that keeps
0: like popping up in the corner of my eye and yeah. I go, ooh, and then I forget yeah
1: that has has been my experience recently and a friend uh recommended it to me again recently so i finally decided to pick it up uh it is a memoir that an old lady is writing uh And she is a naturalist, and she has made a life study of dragons. And so she's writing her memoirs, her adventures that she's had, and how she came to be a globe-trotting, badass lady naturalist. (laughs) Uh, It's very, very good so far. I'm really enjoying it. Awesome. Uh, So before we move on, we have, as usual, a piece of exciting news. Our exciting news this week is... we have no news (laughs) it's been a long time since we had no news but today we have no news and we thought that was newsful so now you know that let's
2: move on and have a fucking episode (laughs) yes let's let's. do that Braille, what's the first tentpole? our first tentpole is a fanfic this is a harry potter fanfic called a private reason for this by fem it's a harry draco fanfic it's a future au kind of you know epilogue what epilogue kind of future AU and in this story Draco Malfoy is an aura who works for the Edinburgh aura investigative team Mm. and it's about what happens when Harry Potter gets called up from the London aura office to aid in the investigation of a high profile celebrity murder case it's very much in the tradition of police procedurals it's got a lot of stuff about Edinburgh as a city which I thought Macy might like Yes. Yes. And, of course, it's got some, like, Harry Draco stuff happening at the same time. I quite liked the dynamic that they set up with this sort of, like, slightly fraught exes with a lot of baggage having to work together, which I think is one of the classic dynamics that they do often set up in police procedurals when they're thinking of romances, because people are usually a little bit older.
0: Yeah. I know. I really appreciated also the team dynamics uh, with Draco's team of, like, misfits and Slytherins
1: that he's kind of gathered around himself. Yes, that was super interesting. Uh, And the thing that I immediately noticed, like halfway through the first chapter, was how much it absolutely nailed the tone of police procedurals. Mm -hmm. Like you immediately know what genre that you're in. Um, And I think I want to save most of my points about that for later in the episode because I want to compare it to uh, the other two tent poles. Uh, So I think we're just going to whip through them fairly quickly. Um, Absolutely. Anything else to say about the first one? Uh,
2: No, I think we can discuss it in context later on.
1: Macy, take it away. What's the second one? So the second one is um, a TV show
0: about Mayan and Freya's favorite redhead. It's not. Um,
2: I thought I was your favorite redhead. She's definitely one of of my favorite redheads.
0: Alex Alex is giving us a really dodgy look right now because Alex is like, I didn't know there was a TV show about me.
2: (laughs) I don't think it's a TV show about... Oh, oh, I see what you're
1: saying.
2: I was <laughs> <laughs> like, it made a... T- okay, Shall ahead. we say fictional redhead?
1: Fictional redhead. Yes, our favourite
0: sure. fictional redhead. Yeah. Um, Alice, uh, but more specifically, this is about the TV show Luther, and we watched the pilot episode of this. And it is a police procedural about a policeman who is coming back to the force after having been put on administrative leave for nine months because he dropped a serial killer off a abandoned rooftop and the serial killer is in a coma and the police force does not stand for this kind of thing so it's kind of sets him up as somewhat off the book and rogue from the start and he is trying to solve the murder of this reasonably well off middle class couple whose very distressed daughter is pretty clearly to blame for killing them but she is an amazing psychopath and far smarter than everyone else
2: and just taunts him continuously. And I love that 10 minute scene from the beginning of the interrogation with Luther and Alice to the point where he comes out, says she did it, explains why he knows goes in and you see her entire demeanor change as it slowly becomes clear that he's interrogating her as the likely suspect is just a beautiful piece of acting and a beautiful Mm. piece of character work in terms of how it was written. It's so satisfying. And it's so cool. And over the course
0: of like more of this show, it digs even deeper into Alice essentially interrogating the entire genre of police procedurals because she gains this kind of malignant narcissist obsession with the detective, Luther, and just keeps poking and poking and prodding at him. And it's very like meta. At least I saw it that way.
2: Yeah, because in, in, in a, another kind of show, the narcissistic genius villain who is introduced early and becomes obsessed with the protagonist would be the long-term big bad. But Alice is Mm -hmm. never the long-term big bad. She becomes much more of a advisor slash friend slash sexual tension slash this is all fucked up and delicious. It's great.
1: (laughs) Did you enjoy it, Alex? I did. Yes. It was really interesting and I liked that for one thing, that they have a
2: lady villain. I would probably watch more of that. Yeah. I mean, as yes. as a pilot, it's interesting because the key murder mystery, in inverted commas, of it huh. is solved quite early, but the killer yeah. is not brought to justice. It's just like, these people are yes. dead. We know who did it. There's not enough evidence. She's going to walk free because the whole point of it is setting things up for a longer story.
1: Yeah, I was absolutely expecting him to solve the case and convict her by the end of the episode like I was all set up and prepared for it to be a one and done kind of thing kind of like a baddie of the week situation Mm -hmm. um and it was really interesting when I realized that they were setting it up for a a longer term thing Mm. very fascinating as a
2: show Luther does some baddies of the weeks and some mini arcs over a couple of episodes depending on which season it is I haven't watched the later ones
1: it's
0: a super fun um Game to play to look at British police procedurals, particularly the BBC ones, because they'll sometimes have very strange uh numbers of episodes and lengths of episodes in each different season, and so like this season might be an omnibus, this season might be episode of the week hmm. um so that kind of changes the dynamic a little bit compared to some of the American shows, which can get very formulaic because you know there's twenty two episodes, yeah, yeah.
2: when I was younger, my absolute favorite British procedural was Wire in the blood based on the val mcdermid novels and again it had this really interesting dynamic between the two main characters but those episodes were movie length almost they were like at least an hour and a half and each one had a self-contained very much you know villain of the week because they were adapting books at least to to begin with
0: and we can talk about that a little bit more when we talk about the differences between mystery and
1: procedural Mm -hmm. but i think alex has one more tentpole to get through Yes, indeed. So, something that I noticed a couple days ago was that all three of our tent poles are all British police procedurals. And the third tent pole that we have today is Midnight Riot, aka Rivers of London, uh, by Ben Aronovich, which is a book that came out in, I believe, 2011. Uh, this is the first time that I have had a chance to read it. I listened to it as an audiobook as well because I'm in the middle of this sewing project right now, as I said. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, this is a novel set in contemporary london about a young man who has sort of done his time as like the low-level street cop writing parking tickets and everything and he's about to (laughs) like get his his promotion to the actual uh team that he's going to be on and his best friend is, like, super smart. And he, she's for sure going to get promoted into uh, something special. Actually, I was reading the Wikipedia article to refamiliarize familiarize myself with their names. And I just want mm-hmm. to read you how Wikipedia describes these two characters. So his best friend is police constable Leslie May, an officer in the Metropolit- Me- Metropolitan Police who, having completed her mandatory probationary period, is expected to go far. And the main character's name is Police Constable Peter Grant, an officer in the Metropolitan Police who, having completed his mandatory probationary period, is expected to do paperwork.
0: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but um, fascinatingly, the author did speak a little bit about what he'd seen Peter's career path might be if the events of the book never happened. And it was a slower path, but it did still have like grooming for, for leadership stuff in it.
1: Yeah, he's, I mean, he's a smart kid. It just seems to be that he needs a little bit of time to sort of work himself up to it. He needs a bit of a a run up before he gets going. Uh, So they are, uh, there's a terrible crime and they are set to guard the crime scene. And Leslie goes off to fetch coffee and Peter sees a ghost. And the ghost ghost. (laughs) sees a ghost. And the ghost tells him how (laughs) the crime was committed. And he goes back a couple days later to look for the ghost again to question the ghost further and see if he can get any more information because he's a I love
0: this boy. He's fucking idiot Cause... boy. I love him.
1: I think out of all of our police procedurals, he is the most procedural of <laughs> these police boys that we have because uh, he does try so hard to do it by he the does. book, right? Uh, so like, he gets out his little notebook and he asks the ghost his name <laughs> and asks the ghost his address so that they can get in contact with him again. He's a very good boy. Uh, so he goes back to try to find this ghost again and runs into uh, Detective Nightingale, who, as it turns out, is in charge of the supernatural kind of ghost hunting he's a wizard he's a fucking wizard
2: he's, he's in charge, not of, in the charge the wizard of that tops. unit he is the entirety he is of the, the entire supernatural unit, police yes. unit.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he has a house cleaner that's true the housekeeper is sort of in the unit yeah
1: yeah uh and so uh it's about kind of peter and uh captain nightingale or whatever his <laughs> title is nightingale detective uh solving inspector detective inspector nightingale <laughs> right <laughs> uh trying to solve this murder and also kind of broker a peace treaty between the god spirits of the River Thames. Um because there's the the one of the the lower Thames by the sea and then there's the one of the the headwater and they're fighting over territory. So it's kind of getting to be a gang war. And so Peter and Nightingale are going back and forth to to help them out. And then the peace treaty ends up being influential or the, the gods end up being influential in the murder case that they're solving. It's very, very good. I was going to
2: say, again, it's a really creepy stuff happening with this particular murder oh, yeah. case. And I oh, liked yeah. that it Faces relied... Faces peeling off and shit. Yeah. <laughs> it relied quite heavily on pattern recognition for a particular thing. And if you knew anything about what is in this case Punch and Judy shows and the the, yep. the stories told by Mr. Punch, it does become fairly clear fairly early what's going on, but you'd have no idea how to make it fit with your idea of this world because we're still being introduced to it through Peter's eyes. Mm -hmm. And it made for a really satisfying combination of what the hell is going on and, oh, I can kind of see the pattern here before Peter does, which I think really keeps you turning pages. Yeah, for sure.
0: And one of the things that it's also doing, it's drawing some pretty clear parallels between what people think of as like old England and what London is today. Um, part of the thing with the rivers is that the old spirits of the rivers got pushed out when pollution came in. Or more or less they kind of abandoned their responsibility yep. and just wandered off to the countryside and like just ignored it for a bit. And a bunch of mostly immigrant women um, took up the rivers that were still in london instead and that's why they've got beef with one another so it's this whole commentary on modernization and multiculturalism mm-hmm. and uh the past refusing to let go of this like flawed understanding of what matters and that's sort of also represented between nightingale who is old white Eton boy and peter who is son of an immigrant and a jazz musician
1: so I I really like some of the things that it's doing a lot uh, in a fairly short book. But I think what it is doing, it does fairly well or it makes a very respectable stab at. Um, right. And I very, yes. I very much appreciated how much of London it showed, like the different strata of London in terms of like you see a lot of the different class stuff between uh, Peter and his family and spanning all the way up to who's that one river who has the fancy house and hangs out with lady lady tie lady Ben. that's right, that's it. I love her, yeah yes. but <laughs> She's yeah, such I a bitch. really I She's very amazing. much appreciated how how non white and multicultural uh the book was. It seemed more modern than a lot of other modern set books, if that makes sense,
0: and also, I will say the first book and some of the next couple don't always do the best with representation of women mm. um but it does the series gets a lot better later on um book 2 is particularly not great about it but it it learns so, so Oh, did you want me to take care of the tradition?
1: You're in charge, remember? (laughs) I I saw you doing it. I'm steering, I'm in charge. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So let's talk about uh, one of our
2: favorite things, taxonomies. Mm. What makes a mystery a procedural? All right. To me, it is a procedural, and especially a police procedural. The, The police themselves do not have to be involved, but basically the people who are solving the mystery or the crime, in some way or form, it is their job. To do this, and they are doing it in a team because you have okay. a detective, like sole detective, either independent detectives or like you know, a PI. Pri- private detectives, PI type things. Like uh, obviously, like Sherlock Holmes, like the Robert Galbraith uh, cormoran Strike novels, where you have a sole agent. Where it's also their job mostly to solve a mystery, but they are not necessarily a procedural because they are not interacting with a larger structure like yeah. forensics and a team of people have to solve this crime and that's different again to cozy mysteries which involve an amateur who gets drawn into solving a mystery and obviously over the course of books they might it might become their major hobby but it's not their job and they might interact with the police but they are not part of the police to me that's what makes a police procedural what do you think i
0: like i like that distinction i particularly like the idea of them having to be part of a system Mm. um and now i'm thinking about torchwood as a police procedural
1: it is Yeah, because the the whole word procedural implies that there is a higher power that you have to answer to. Like you have to do things in this certain (laughs) way
2: and play by the rules or suffer consequences from higher up. It's mandated bureaucracy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think you won't find very many where people are always playing inside those rules, (laughs) but the fact that those rules exist is important.
1: Bless Peter, he tries. Right, bless Peter. (laughs) Uh, Because even when you're not following the rules you're making the choice to break the rules and you're accepting that there might be consequences for acting in this way uh but sometimes that's the only way to solve the problem and move forward or you're a corrupt policeman but we'll talk about or you're a, a corrupt policeman yes yeah
0: <laughs> but yeah i think i like that also because it does put um sherlock holmes pastiches and poirot procedurals that outside of procedurals because they are interacting with the system but they aren't actually part of it. So if they... They can't really be sanctioned in the same way. No.
2: And very commonly they will find themselves attached to a police yes. procedural so that they can draw on its resources. So Something like Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries. Miss Fisher mm. is a sole detective and it is a sole detective genre but she becomes so quickly and <laughs> enmeshed, I suppose, um, <laughs> in in Jack Robinson and the police that to a certain extent, the way that the TV episodes play out are very much police procedural because we're still having morgue scenes and we're having information uh, delivered to us in small dribs and drabs and she tags along to interrogations and things. So it becomes more of a procedural, even though character-wise it is a sole detective show.
0: And I think that one of my favourites, Elementary, is a very similar gig to that. Mm. But you mentioned some really cool um, aspects of these yes, shows do we want to talk about yeah let's get into some
1: tropes what do you let's see
0: what... what's your
1: favorite tropes in in police procedurals yeah okay who goes first well I'm who assuming gets to pick first you're... well you seem most excited about it Macy yes so how Macy, how Macy pick your favorite first?
2: trope let's go I I love... know what Macy's favorite is I love it when
0: the maverick detective goes off the rules <laughs> it's like, oh I thought you were gonna, gonna what... say murder
1: boards huh <laughs>
0: I thought you were going to say murder boards. I, I like murder boards, but I really enjoy people just kind of throwing in the towel and just going, fuck this. I'm going to go get stuff done. And yeah. I also really appreciate it when the show slaps them for it, because that is not actually a good thing to do. I just, as a right. character note, I really enjoy pushing
2: characters to their breaking point, And this trope is all about that. Mm, good points. I like the structure of procedurals, the fact Mm -hmm. that like a romance novel, a good procedural has certain structural beats that you expect. And one of them is this whole idea that you either open with a crime having just been committed or in the Mm. the, um, process of being committed. Like you'll very frequently get this kind of distant third narration uh, of the initial crime. So it'll concentrate on the victim, usually. Possibly the person committing the crime. And then you'll get swept on to be shown. And now here's the body surrounded by a tent and here's the people investigating the body. (laughs) Uh, And I also really like that because it The thing about a procedural is that, as you say, procedures and rules have to be followed. There is this very cunning inbuilt mechanism for information to be delivered quite slowly so that the clues can be pieced together. So, oh, we are standing in the morgue. What can you tell us about this dead body, pathologist? Well, I can tell you X, Y, Z, and that will send them off. And then two days later, oh, the toxology report has come through. (laughs) Now we know. (laughs) these two other things and it's just it's beautiful because it means you can just kind of wriggle around and drop in information and leave red herrings There's, I haven't written a procedural but I can see that the Russians have designed this new process of testing one yeah. to figure out yes. the yes. gender oh, of
0: the caster Yes. oh I'm yes the, uh, you, the cyber
2: crime temple. department has finally finished decoding the hard drive you know <laughs> 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 the information yeah. can just be thrown at you whatever order is most appropriate for just the plot which I think for is delightful days.
1: <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So there's two things that I really like. Um, And one of them, like we keep coming back to this thing about bureaucracy and, and procedure. And I love the idea of the bureaucracy as kind of this abstract, neutral energy force, because sometimes it's really, really getting in your way. Sometimes, like if you're Luther and you know she did it, you fucking know she did it. You know she did it. But you can't arrest her because you have to prove that she did it, even though you know she did it. And in other times, so I, I really love it when you have this built up frustration with the bureaucracy, but then it turns around and suddenly the bureaucracy saves your ass. And somehow your your commanding officer really comes through and has your back or... uh you think that you're in deep shit, but then your team comes to save you. Uh, And it kind of shows that there's two sides to the coin, that there's benefits as well as, uh, what's the word? Drawbacks. Drawbacks, Mm -hmm. yes, thank you. And it kind of
2: depends on whether the story's inherent moral backbone is lawful good or chaotic good, really. Yes, or chaotic chaotic. Or just, or just playing chaotic. I feel like Torchwood is probably just like chaotic true. <laughs> everything.
0: Alex, I think I almost heard you say that you like it when a system has agency and character.
1: I don't know. Okay, because bureaucracy it... kind of has like decision making. I and... still don't think it doesn't have sentience though. And like your whole argument, this argument that Macy and I have, hold on, (laughs) wait a second. You brought it up. So now I have to explain it to the (laughs) listeners so people aren't lost. So if you've listened to a couple of our previous episodes, you have heard that Macy and I have this ongoing argument about whether or not corporations are people and whether or not they are sentient and can make their own decisions and so on and so forth. And I hold that they are not. And Macy holds firmly that they... I, and my my argument is a little bit different than sentience.
0: My argument is that sufficiently large systems make decisions in a way that their component humans would not. Like, they have and a capability as themselves as like a amalgam to make decisions and take actions that is not the same thing as the sum of their humans.
1: Right. I still don't think that like I'm I'm gonna keep standing by my point. I still don't agree with you. Um, the bureaucracy in a police procedural does not have the ability to make decisions because it is made up of people, it was made by people. But and none of those it's, people it's would a bunch act- of rules
0: in a book. None of those right? people who are making the decisions within the bureaucracy would make the same decisions without the system and framework.
1: So it's like <laughs> The way that I look at it, this might just be the rest oh of the Oh my gosh, like a fucking it... chicken
2: and egg situation. <laughs> but the people <laughs> built the framework. So but the sickness. framework contains the people. <laughs> okay, okay,
0: let's just put it to this. I also enjoy the bureaucracy and the limits that it puts on
1: the characters. I find that
0: it's a really fun way to play with your characters.
1: Yes, mm. yes. Uh, I had a second uh, trope Mm -hmm. that I really enjoy with this, uh, and it's one of the dot points that you guys added on this list here, this convenient list in our planning document, and that's the old experience versus audience stand-in. (laughs) God. God. I love an apprentice, you guys. Yes. you guys yep. know I love a fucking apprentice. Um, someone who's like young and cute and bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and still has hope and joy in the world, <laughs> and is and about to get the royally fucked
2: around and smacked in the face by the plot. <laughs> yeah,
1: by the plot, and who also is like paired up with this like crotchety, cynical. I've seen everything, and I probably shot it in the face and drank some coffee afterwards and <laughs> chewed a cigarette to pieces.
2: <laughs> and it is absolutely vital to the tone of the media as to which of those two is the focus. Because Luther yes, yes is the old experience, he's the cynical mm-hmm. one, and he is the heart and the focus of the show. We are seeing the world through his eyes. Whereas in Rivers of London, Peter, the newcomer, is absolutely the... Center and the heart, Mm -hmm. and the eyes that we see through. And so the tones of those two things are completely different. Oh, yeah. Even though they both have a pair of Nightingale Peter and Luther Ripley of old experience versus new one.
1: Absolutely. And I think that it's also partly the genre that makes a difference as well because uh, Rivers of London is fantasy, right? And so. Since it's not the real world, you can't rely on audience assumption to know what's going on. You have to explain things to the audience. And so putting it from the perspective of the apprentice character, uh, Peter, means that as Peter is getting things explained to him, because he doesn't know bullshit any more than you know anything, uh, means that like Peter and the audience get things explained to them at the same time. Whereas with Luther, since it's set in the real world, and since there's no speculative element, you can rely very much more on the audience as just sort of knowing how the world works already. Well, I think that some of that is specifically...
0: The aspect of portal fantasy that Torchwood also has which Mm, is it starts off as someone from outside going into a secret world um, which is a very typical urban fantasy trope that people use to put magic in our world as it is today but I'm thinking of for example the Guards Guards books in Pratchett where Mm -hmm. it really doesn't make all that much difference whether you're with Vimes or with Carrot because both of them are already embedded in the world and aren't really getting it explained to them. Um, But I was going to say also that Freya, uh, if you do get round to watching the later seasons of Luther, we end up eventually with my favourite apprentice, who is a tiny, deeply bitter, revengeful um, lesbian Whose, wife, whose, whose girlfriend is currently pregnant and is like vowing vengeance and Luther has to hold back the apprentice and like calm Aww. the apprentice. And this is Luther we're talking about. You would love trying that. To that's un-maverick. all of your favorite things. And they have this big thing about you have to like be careful and live because your girlfriend and your baby.
1: Right. Lovely. That's that's all of your favorite things in
0: a box with a bow on top. I love her and mm. I'm so concerned that they're going to like murder her brutally at some point.
2: Um, I'm yeah. sure they will because that's how genre be yeah well i mean the genre the whole police procedural of having oh you must be careful your pregnant (laughs) wife is such an old tired trope but as soon as you turn it into a lesbian you're like oh i'm interested again well
0: because here's the thing it tells you so much more when you have two women who have a kid that's really hard for them to achieve in a way for a heterosexual couple it isn't necessarily right there's a whole bunch more that you say implicitly when you have a character who is female and says my girlfriend is pregnant, than if you have a character who is male and says my girlfriend is pregnant, it implies different things. Mm. Yes. Which is super yes. fun to like yeah. look at that and then look at yourself and be, why are my assumptions like this when it's queers and like that when it's straights?
2: Mm. Yeah. And all three of the tentpoles, I think, play on that you know sense of we have to care really deeply about the secondary and supporting characters because any good police procedural, if it goes on, I was going to say if it goes on for long enough, but even ones that are standalone, it will always end up being not just, I am chasing down this person who's killing randoms, it is, I'm chasing down this person, and because of the decisions I have made, the danger is now personal to me, yes! or my team, or the people that I love. So yes, my, my favourite uh, genre convention that I put on the list was, now it's personal! Mark, <laughs> which is such a classic in police procedurals, and something that definitely all three of these... Uh, play on
1: so uh i would like to give you two an assignment uh uh, because i think that there's something that both of you are very excited to talk about villains please tell me more about alice i'm gonna sneeze instead
0: sorry say what no i'm not i was i was about to sneeze into my microphone i figured that we should probably not do that on air
1: I can edit it out later. (laughs) I'm leaving this in. I'm absolutely
2: As Freya ranted. Go, Freya, it's Alice. Alice Morgan is one of Ah. my original murder unicorns. She is just so delightful. She is a physicist. She cares nothing for other people. She's very much sort of a pure sociopath slash psychopath. She went to Oxford at
0: 13.
2: Oh yeah. She's girly. That's another
1: thing I really appreciated about her. Like she's just super cool. She's so cool. She
0: has a, like, wall-sized print of a black hole in her apartment and a London apartment with a little balcony with a telescope on it. Like, you
2: know, this girl is not fucking around. No, no. I love her so much. She gets interested in things and she digs her teeth into them. Sometimes literally. Sometimes literally, (laughs) but there's this great big cold hole in her where all the caring should be. I got so obsessed when I first saw this show that I wrote a whole thick field diet about her.
0: And the that's the best thing about her for me. Yeah, she just doesn't have brakes. You know, no. where everyone else would put on the brakes, she just keeps going. Um, she gets really interested in this detective who's seen through her but is still treating her with respect. It's like, I want to understand why do you love? What is love? And so she takes a knitting needle and sticks it in the ear of the detective's ex-wife while interrogating her and threatening to spear her through the brain.
2: Because that's so how great. you understand love. That's a scientific method.
0: <laughs> yeah. And then later breaks in to said ex-wife's home
2: Oh bringing my God, she, wine. she drinks wine menacingly at them. It's so good. She <laughs> poured
0: them a glass each and oh. then interrogates this poor woman uh, and her new boyfriend while casually sipping wine in a very nice dress uh, and then sort of saunters back out the door again, having not touched a hair on her head.
2: And they're both like trembling in terror. Oh. <laughs> Commitment it's... to the aesthetic. Alice, Ugh. I love you.
1: Alice is like the epitome of power move. At all times. She was very cool and I did appreciate her a lot. Do you have any other thoughts about villains in police procedurals? Or was (laughs) outraged yelling of of (laughs) our adoration for Alice the extent of our thoughts on on villains? Well, I wanted
2: to briefly mention another trope that all of them have in common that is to do with antagonists, I guess, Mm. if not Mm -hmm. villains, uh, which is that all of these have the trope. I had a look. StoryGrid calls this the shapeshifter character trope. And it's Mm. essentially somebody who presents themselves initially one way, but is actually another way. And in this case, it is one of the police team or one of the investigative team is actually a killer slash villain. So it doesn't actually happen in Midnight Riot, but it happens later on in the series Mm -hmm. that you have one of that core group actually turning out to be a villain. Spoilers. Um, Spoilers. I won't go any further than that. Yep. Um, it is very much, spoilers, uh, what happens in A Private Reason for this. And it happens in the first season of Luther later on Yes, that one of his best friends, who's a co-investigator, becomes an antagonist. Um, and all of them present it in a – not in a way to say that this person is like the spirit of malevolent evil in the same way that Mr. Punch is in – Midnight Riot but it definitely gives you this clear motivation of like human weakness and human foible and what pushes people to become that kind of antagonist which I think is really great.
1: You know one of the antagonists that totally blindsided me was the one in the first season of Bones? Mm. Wait is that the first season?
0: If you're talking about the the one that I'm thinking about? I think it's is it? Third, second or third season where
2: that comes out
1: I don't remember it was a long time it's been a really long time but yeah since The thought, The Little Apprentice The Apprentice yeah. thing that was later that yeah. was but yeah that one Killed me. Oh my god, that took me so by surprise. Like, you were not expecting it, but then you look back on it, and you're like, okay, I can kind of see it. I can kind of see it. Yeah. Super creepy. I really appreciate
0: how character-focused police procedurals are in general. They do so much character work. Like, the fic, Mm -hmm. the way that this fic digs into the personalities and differences of point of view and approaches of every single character and the way they all have to interweave to make the story happen, you you can't sit still for a second.
2: Yeah, really yeah. good procedurals do incredible character work. I think, yeah, J.K. Rowling writing as Robert Galbraith mm-hmm. is one of the best people I've seen to do this. Like her eye for human, mediocre human evil <laughs> and the petty ways in which people are horrible to each other and textured and complicated is just so good. Mm-hmm. And it comes out in such a great way when she's writing a detective procedural.
0: I also, one of the things I noticed in the tent pole that I don't think we got quite so much of in Rivers of London, but we maybe get in Luther later on. Yes, we definitely get in like Luther season one, episode two, is this thing where you're trying to untangle a mystery and you first untangle a lesser secret about the people involved and it looks like that is the big secret so I'm thinking in the fic about the fact that the sister is a professional dominatrix Um, Mm. but that's a red herring. I love me a good red herring and like Mm. the idea that each red herring as an author you kind of have to design and hook into the character personality and then seed through the earlier part of the book
2: so it's not a shock just as much as you have to the actual ending. And I think one of the reasons that works quite well in the fic is because the wizarding world is sort of a small, closed community. Mm -hmm. And in the same way that if you're writing a procedural set in a small town, there is the sense that the uncovering of a secret is a big deal. Yes. Because everybody knows everybody. And so people are scrambling to cover up their secrets uh, to an extent where people may do to a lesser extent in this sort of like slightly anonymous, enormous city. Uh, And so... They the way that that fic was written, it really cleverly plays on the fact that they all went to school together. Everyone yeah. kind of knows each other. And so mm-hmm. the secrets are big and potentially explosive.
0: Right. And one of the procedurals that I adore for a bunch of reasons, but because it does this really well, is a Welsh police procedural called Hinterland. Um, and it's on Netflix. They're 90-minute episodes It's beautifully shot. It's in backcountry Wales. Ooh. And you can get the subtitles in Welsh. Um, It's Mm. shot in Wales. It has gorgeous scenery. Um, Really quite gruesome sometimes, but still beautifully shot. But (laughs) it has all of these gritty little gruesome little community wounds where like a small village has had this thing going on so long that it's been like a burr stuck in the side and everyone kind of knows that the vicar beats his children. But Oh, a missing stare. Yeah, uh, but sometimes it's missing stare and sometimes it's just like, oh, well, this affair and, you know, the artist always sleeps with the other girls and like no one's necessarily doing anything wrong, but it's almost like system failure, uh, if you mm. know that term. Uh, It's like a chaos theory term where... A perfect storm is another way of phrasing it. Nothing would have gone wrong if it hadn't been these three precise things going wrong at once. Yes. And Swiss it takes cheese. a
1: whole community to make a murder. Mm. That's uh, really interesting. Yeah, it's super cool. The,
2: the Agatha Christie Poirot and Miss Marples do that as well. This is less mm-hmm. police procedural and more to do with The fact that when you have a sole detective, you can focus on an even smaller community. You know, these manor house mysteries where you have a a social group. I love manor house mysteries because it's again,
1: we should add add manor house to the things that you should drink about when we mention specifically. When Freya says (laughs) the words manor house, take a shot.
2: (laughs) Take a shot. But it's because you can establish these sort of extended family slash friendship groups that have all of those burrs and hidden secrets and things mm-hmm. that come tumbling out. And they can be stuffed so full of red herrings because of all of the interpersonal you know, tensions and dislikes. So you can get an entire novel's worth of plot out of slowly untangling all of the simmering disasters in a group that seems to be functioning quite well. They're all ducks with their feet going splash, splash, splash under the water. Yeah. Yes. So what about... I was good. No, I was oh. about to move this on. Go on, fire. Wow. No, Alex okay. is steering. Go. Alex is steering. Alex is steering.
1: <laughs> so, uh, a lot of times we spend some time talking about like why do we love this thing? Like what is it about this thing that we find compelling? And specifically with police procedurals, I think that that is a really interesting question to talk about because in this day and age we are seeing so much in the news about police brutality and corruption within our law enforcement and Uh, It makes it kind of complicated and fraught sometimes to approach these shows, especially ones like Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which present a fairly um, cheerful and positive face on the policing experience. Uh, Not necessarily the policing experience, but they're good characters. We like them. They're funny. It's a comedy. Um, So what do we like about police procedurals these days in this era of being so up close and personal with these terribly fraught and abusive systems?
0: I think, for me, I think of it very similar to the way that I think about the romance contract for a happily ever after or a happily for now. Uh, We live in a world where a lot of relationships don't work out or even become abusive, but when you enter into a romance, you know that that's not what you're getting. And when you enter into a police procedural, Like, even with the ones that get pretty gritty, most of the time you are expecting the contract is at the end, they will get the right person. Mm. And so a lot of these shows do elide those risks, right? Um, But you know that they are not going to frame someone for having done the murder, right? They're not going to arrest a black person just because they were nearby, that's not the thing that you want in your fiction. That's not the contract that you expect.
1: Yeah, so, so basically we like them because even when they're they're breaking rules uh, or maybe like bending rules a little bit, you know, they are still
2: essentially like good people trying to do good and put stuff into the world, right? Yes, the contract is not necessarily that this is going to be a perfect ideal police department. It's going to be justice will prevail, whatever justice is within that universe. And some of the shows and other forms of media actually have begun to engage with things like police brutality and police corruption. But they will, the unspoken contract is, show that this is not something that is a good thing and somebody is not necessarily going to get away with it for a long time especially if it gets down to the the form of brutality. I think you have, you're you're absolutely right, you have a certain level of morality contract in a classic police procedural.
0: But I think particularly shows like Luther um, and shows like, is it the one that's set in Seattle that's a remake of a Scandinavian one, I believe it's called The Killing, um, that do show the main characters performing these acts of brutality. Luther is unquestionably violent and scary in episode 1 right towards oh, yeah. his mm-hmm. ex-wife but he doesn't he doesn't get rewarded
2: with his wife
0: no yeah yes. that action doesn't get the results but yeah i definitely think that's something to keep in mind when watching these and it can be easy to be seduced by the show's narrative sometimes, that Mm -hmm. if you do brutal things in service of, you know, rescuing the child who is locked in a trunk and can't breathe, then it's all right to beat the suspect. Mm. We have to interrogate the things that we consume, and I think that's a really good point, um, asking why.
2: Yeah, Yeah. that the show is not presenting Luther's actions as good, it's saying I don't think it would it would have shown us that unless it has also concurrently shown that the person he did this to is really really bad and here's why here's the child that he's locked up and all the other children that he killed but at the same time it's sort of saying we acknowledge that this is a, a flawed person working within a flawed system and you kind of have to get on board with that because that's the pilot this is the character that we're going to focus on and if that's not your jam then that's not the show for you but i agree he never gets rewarded for doing these things It just becomes part of the complexity of the things that he's fighting against. And I think the person I have the most sympathy for is his poor boss, (laughs) who is just a woman doing her best and looks so tired all the time. (laughs) Yes.
0: (laughs) I mean, this is one of the things that I, I actually kind of like also, is the police procedurals give us a window into the society whose bureaucracy has formed this particular police force that acts in these particular ways. And that's one of the things I think is super interesting about procedurals that take place in a science fiction or in a fantasy universe, um, you kind of
2: see different approaches to policing.
1: Yes. Shall we talk about that a little bit? Sure. Yeah.
2: Tell us, tell us about that point that you had there about policing communities. I think that's really interesting. Yeah. Um,
0: I was thinking a little bit about how the Guards Guards book uh, deals with crimes that take place in communities within Ankh-Morpork who are not the dominant species in that world um how do you manage dwarf murders how do you manage um a vampire crime um and drawing the parallel between that and the later books of rivers of london where there is more of the community management and outreach part of being a policeman um and how does the law respect or not respect those
2: communities Mm, i really like that in the the Discworld Guards books because it goes all the way through. Most of the mm-hmm. Sandvimes books have mm-hmm. that to one extent or another. You know, how do you serve the word of the law or the great big, you know, intangible thing that is the law and justice when you've got so much complexity of the people that you're trying to deliver it to? I just
0: realised something else. Actually, um, I think this interacts with the point I was talking about in the cities episode that we did couple of episodes back um about how to me a city is a place with multiple communities that are stratified in some way um multiple communities that are different from one another and how many procedurals and the mysteries they focus on are caused by friction between those different communities in some way so sometimes you might have a very insular community that's being forced to change as it encounters another, or you m- might have a murder across group lines, or that type of thing that you see mm. in City a lot. And I think that exploring that in fantasy is super interesting.
2: Yeah, because if you're looking at it in the real world, it's often to do with class. Like even mm-hmm. the small, small English things are about how does the law treat the upper class versus the working class and mm-hmm. what can you, what can people get away with, and how are they treated by the people who are the procedural system? Yeah. Well, my favourite thing when it comes to sort of magic science fiction procedurals is how can the world building affect not only the type of crime, but how you solve the crime. And I must admit, I was a little amused at how disingenuous the hand wave was in A Private Reason for this as to why the whole idea of polyjuice and glamours had not occurred to the investigating team a lot earlier. You're wizards. Like, this is a thing. Yeah. And they sort of were like, like you're oh, basically well, you know, all most powerful. murders in, in Wizarding World are, sort of, you know, are in hot blood. People don't have time to go and brew polyjuice for ages and ages, you know. But at the same time, I was like, I feel like this is a little bit of a label, you're just slapping over it to explain why they didn't immediately. Like, how hard would it be to work as policemen (laughs) in a world where people can very easily look exactly like someone else or make you see things that are not there when so much of police procedural work is, okay, and who did you see? Okay, and what were they wearing? And what time did they enter the room? And when did they leave? And like, all of that just goes out the window. And it's used to quite good effect in the fic, but it does make me think it must be quite you have to really consider that if you're going to be writing a procedural in somewhere where magic is changing the fundamental rules of policing. For sure, because
1: you're all carrying around a tool, your wand, which is basically a, for all intents and purposes, all powerful tool and weapon, right? So like you can use that thing to kill anybody you want immediately um, or to bend the laws of reality in weird mm. ways. So I think that's something I think that... I mean, it was a wonderful fic. I liked it a whole, whole lot. I think I would have liked it to push a little bit farther on the world building kind of aspects in terms of like how the police procedural changes um, depending
2: on the the magic Mm, stuff. Because if you're going to put in something like, yes, a wand can do almost anything, then you have to kind of keep balancing it with other things. Like the police have the power to make any wand do a report of all of the all of the spells that it has done in a certain period. You know, right. you can if you're gonna make things up, you can just make up things to balance. You could just out make up things, more <laughs> things <laughs> she says articulately. <laughs> but it's it true. Was very eloquent. Uh,
0: and I wanna say this is why like the way that Vimes works by pure like exhaustive effort is so mm-hmm. satisfying. Cause you know there's not going to be a flashy, uh, magic spell that he can cast because the wizards are fucking useless, and yeah. uh, like the the closest that they get is like making Angua track someone by smell, and she's going to give you a dirty look for like a week if you force her to do that.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so you know yeah. you really
0: got to weigh whether it's worth it.
2: And if you're crafting <laughs> yes. the narrative, then you can decide how much your own rule breaking is allowed to achieve. But something like pushing daisies was. Technically, a procedural that had an inbuilt, you know, one of the most inbuilt things of a police procedural and murder mysteries is that the person who's dead can't tell you anything. And Pushing Daisies was like, actually, we can bring back someone from the dead. So they had to structure into the world building all these ways in which that was not necessarily very useful.
1: Yeah, I just had an amazing thought going back to Angua um, because Macy was like, oh, yeah, if you, you bring up Angua, you have to, you know, is it is it worth it? Um, except Angua isn't actually overpowered. Angua is just the Discworld equivalent of how we would use CCTVs. Yeah, or like scent because... trackers, or scent trackers, right? But like, like with with Angu- or with CCTVs, you can follow a person from the crime scene until you can't track them anymore. And so Angua is kind of doing that for the Discworld characters. And I just realized that and wanted to mention that.
2: Well, they describe in the Discworld universe how. Criminals, I guess, essentially, then develop the next step in that arms race. They're like, oh, well, yeah, everyone the knows bombs. the watch has a werewolf. So everyone now carries around aniseed bombs if they're going to do yes. something and they want to yep. throw the werewolf off the track.
0: I mean, this is also a world that has an assassin's guild and a thief's guild. So, you know, True. it's already working under some pretty special rules. But you talking about pushing daisies, uh, Faya, reminded me of one of my favorite weird, weird police procedurals. Uh, which is iZombie. Oh, I've heard of this. I haven't gotten around to seeing any of it. So I, Zombie is a delightful police procedural where the main character is a morgue assistant who happens to be a zombie and gets visions when she eats people's brains and pretends to be a psychic who is helping the detectives to solve crimes. And the detective is deeply unconvinced that she's a psychic and convinced that she's like figuring it out somewhere. And she just wanders around going like, nope nope psychic vision that is a
2: bonkers concept and i love it
0: (laughs) and it's amazing and like zombies are just in this world and so she is like trying to solve detective mysteries as part of the police force but also sidebar trying to make sure no more zombies happen because zombie apocalypses are generally
2: discouraged it's like she's got a lot going on for a dead girl (laughs) that's fun Uh, are there any other like procedurals or mysteries people want to recommend before we all sign off Any other favourites of your heart? Well, we could recommend some of the nearly 10,000 case fics
0: that exist on AO3, because they're their own special thing. I know that you've read all of them, I have not, actually. (laughs) This is not a genre that I've delved into in particular. I
1: mostly Mm. love case fics when they are crossovers. Okay, okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, Freya and I were talking in uh, our Slack chat right before we started recording about what are some specifically SFF, mm-hmm. uh, police procedurals? And we both in like immediately we were typing at the same time. Miles Verco's again. Um, but hold on. So M- Macy disagrees with us, and let's have a little bit of discussion on air. Freya and I think that once he gets to be an imperial auditor, and once he kind of has that structure that he has to fit within, and I know, and as I said in in our chat, like saying the words miles and procedure in the same sentence might make the world explode. Um, but I really think that like Komar specifically, like he is investigating a mystery. He has a dead body, and he's trying to find out, as Freya said, like who killed this body. Um, that's as close as we're going to get. Yeah, a and that is procedural. that is his
2: job. His his job yeah. is he's sent there to work within a system to solve a murder mystery. So even though yeah. his entire character is immediately, let's try and break all of the rules. It is technically a police procedural because that kind of uh. is his job.
1: There are for sure other books in which he is leaning more heavily on his military agent I'm... background or his spy background. But in that book specifically in Komar, he is 100% nope. on a police procedural. Yeah, because he has to genre. like talk
2: to people who are getting nope. information out of computers and he has to go and interrogate people and he's trying to do it by the book and then very quickly is like, Ugh, the book sucks. I'm Miles again, <laughs> as, as
1: usual. It's so what's like your you argument wouldn't Killing it? Eve a police procedural. I haven't seen Killing Eve, I can't argue with you. Aspects of it are. I, yeah, and that's what
0: I mean. I'm like, aspects of Komar, I'm
1: sure,
2: are. But it isn't at heart. That's not its heart. Mm, I think, well, and the thing with the Volkowski saga is that the genre of each individual book varies wildly. And I would say yes. that Komar is a police procedural book in a wider space opera context.
0: I would say that it is wearing a police procedural hat. Well, sure, sure. Okay, I can agree with that. There we go. Hats for everyone. And for all, a good hat. And for all.
1: Good night, listeners. Good night.
0: Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Be the Serpent, a podcast of extremely, extremely deep literary merit. I still don't know if I can fully put my finger on why I enjoy police procedurals so much, but the fact that I do is undeniable. And Please do not ask how many episodes of Elementary I've watched in the past few weeks, and it's not just for Lucy Lou. I think for me, Part of it is that this is a subgenre which cares more than almost any other about its characters. Every single side character has a motivation and a desire and their own personality. It's pretty much built into the framework of a mystery. And I really love that. Anyway, we have some even more exciting topics to talk about in upcoming episodes. On the next episode, two weeks hence, on May 8th, we'll be discussing possibly our favourite astolat fic. It's always hard to say. If you want to prepare in advance, maybe join us and read along. It's called Mithothere, and it's a Witcher fanfic. So if you have a friend who's into stuff like that, maybe give them a heads up. In the meantime, feel free to continue the conversation with us. Questions, comments, breathless adulations. Contact us at serpentcast at gmail dot com, at SerpentCast on Twitter and Tumblr, or join in the conversation in our fan Discord chat, which is linked on the About the Show page of our website. If you enjoy the podcast, maybe take a peek at our Patreon. It's full of snacks. And, by the way, I know you didn't do it. You'd never get caught so easily.